Welcome to Women Over 70, Aging Reimagined, and dedicated to silencing the chatter about what women should and shouldn't be doing as they age. Here to bring you stories about women in their 70s, 80s, and 90s, women who are leading inspiring lives that make a difference to themselves and others, are Catherine Marino and Gail Zalitsky. Hi, I'm Catherine. And I'm Gail, and we are the active voice of Women Over 70, Aging Reimagined. Welcome to our weekly podcast. Our mission is to showcase vital women between the ages of 70 to 100 plus who shatter the myth that we become irrelevant as we age. These women lead fulfilling lives for themselves and others. Visit our website, womenover70.com, where you can access all the episodes. We also invite you to join our monthly podcast club, and we welcome speaking to your organization or group on Aging Reimagined. If women aging is a market you would like to reach, consider sponsoring an episode. Finally, if you are an author with a book about women, check out our book promotion opportunity. And today we are really honored to be in conversation with Hetty Ratner, age 79, from Chicago, Illinois. Forty years ago, Hetty Ratner founded and served for decades as co-president of the Women's Business Development Center the most comprehensive women's business assistance center in the United States. And as a lifelong advocate and activist for women's issues, Hetty has served on state and national councils, commissions, task forces, and advisory boards concerning matters of education, health, finance, economic development, labor, equal opportunity, diversity, and public policy and strategy at state and national levels. Now at age 79 and semi-retired, Hetty is president emerita of the Women's Business Development Center, where she continues to advocate for women's economic empowerment and stays active in other impactful work. She's also learning how to live without her greatest supporter, her husband of 54 years, who died just a year ago. So welcome to Women Over 70. Hetty, we're really happy to be talking with you. Well, I'm happy to be talking with you and talking to your audience as well. Thank you. So, you know, we're we're very interested in how women of the pioneering generation became, you know, how became strong advocates and activists for women's and civil rights. We'd love to hear about how this, how did this come about for you? Well, I think... Part of it is my background. Um, I'm the only daughter of uh, East European immigrant parents who fled the pogroms before the Holocaust from Europe. And um, part of the culture, part of the, the world that we lived in was a commitment to social justice, also a religious commitment of a commitment to social justice. And that's always been something that um, I think dominated most of my passion, my life work is social justice. And I became involved in the anti-war movement very early on, uh, in the civil rights movement very early on, uh, and in the human rights movement and in the women's movement. And um, it, I think it all came from an awareness of discrimination, oppression, and um, the treatment of women and people of color and people who are different and anti-Semitism as well. 
I know that you weren't you were involved in in very significant ways. What were some of the the ways you were involved or roles that you played? Well, I was very involved in uh, the anti-war movement and did a lot of marching um, and a lot of um, advocacy around the issue. Uh, in the in the uh, civil rights movement, I was involved with various organizations and still am. Um, in fact, just recently I heard that Jesse Jackson, who now has Parkinson's, and he and I are, are exactly the same age. Uh, he's 79 and his birthday is in August and so is mine. And he recently um, had um, surgery and I'm kind of concerned about how he's doing. So I was very active with, with Jesse and, and Martin Luther King and, and with um, the Congress of Racial Equality and many other uh, civil rights organizations. As an activist, um, you know, writing letters, making calls, marching. Uh, but really, the more I became involved, the more passionate I became, and the more aware of the of the issues that needed to be addressed. And you know, the civil rights movement was really key in my life. My I lived in a in a an integrated area when I was very young. Uh, my father had a little grocery store. On, south side of Chicago, and it was the time of the Great Migration, and I was uh, very aware of, of some of the inequities that existed at the time. Um, the people, the young Black um, employees of my dad's tiny little grocery store couldn't read. I remember I was mm -hmm. about eight years old teaching one of the guys to read, and my father ended up teaching the butcher how to speak Yiddish. So, <laughs> but the women's movement, I think, was um, something that, you know, I've been involved with since probably the late 1960s. Um, and I was, um, I started out with, you know, the Women's Graphics Collective and the National Organization for Women. But then I became very involved with the YWCA, which at that time was the only social service agency for women in, in Chicago. And it was really the home and the incubator and foundation for most of the women's organizations at that time, and including many of the organizations existing today, um, uh, like Planned Parenthood and, and, um, and Personal PAC and um, Women Employed. And um, I became then, I was very involved with the YWCA. I was uh, on the board and then I was chair of the board and also founded uh, with a number of other women, the Illinois Women's Political Caucus, right after Betty Friedan and Gloria Steinem um, started the National Women's Political Caucus uh, out of Washington. And then another area that I was interested in always was the arts. So there was a women in film chapter in LA and because I was an activist in the women's movement, they came to me and said, um, I know you're interested in the arts and film and video and theater. Uh, we wanna start a chapter in Chicago. So I was the founder and president of women in film in Chicago early on. You know, it's really interesting history about the YWCA yes. and I'm glad that you, you mentioned that because I don't know that 
that people, women now would think of the YWCA as having that kind of groundbreaking role. Well, there was, there was um, uh, Diane DeWee Smith, uh, who mm -hmm. was my mentor. She's now Alishon deceased. And um, I, I was chair of the board when she was the director of the YWCA, executive director. And she was also very active in, in the civil rights movement. Um, and we, we kind of, you know, before the word intersection, which is a new word um, in the last few years was, was popular, um, we intersected the civil rights and the women's rights movement together um, because that's what both of us were passionate about. But the YWCA really, so many organizations emanated from the YWCA. Um, NARAL is another one, National Abortion Rights Action League. Um, and there were, there were many, many um, organizations that, that started there and, and continued on. Yeah, thank you for that. I when you when you say that you work works on intersecting civil rights and women's rights, were there um, particular challenges that you confront faced in yes. doing that? Um, the women's movement, you know, in the second wave of the women's movement at that time, was looked upon as a a, a white women's organization. Actually, a a, um, a more middle class, upper middle class, white women who black women felt had the luxury to devote their time and their attention to, to um, women's rights. Um, so the challenge was involving uh, African-American women, black women uh, as feminists. And something that happened this week, um, a tragedy, uh, a very, very close friend of mine who I was actively involved in the women's movement with and who was a liaison with the black community. Her name is Dory Wilson. And Dory um, was this very beautiful, tall, elegant uh, black woman um, who came from Mississippi. She came up with the great migration. She died this week, um, thankfully in her sleep. But we were friends for, I think, 50, 55 years. Um, and I remember she and I were always trying to, to determine uh, what are the best ways to involve more Black women in the movement. And it was very challenging. The other challenge was Phyllis Schlafly was, um, you know, we became too successful and Phyllis Schlafly was looking for something to give her some notoriety. And uh, it ended up being notoriety. Um, and so she became very actively involved. So we had to fight Phyllis Schlafly mm. and, the, and the conservative right. Um, and we had to fight to be sure that we were involving um, Latina and, and, and Black women in the movement. And we, we did okay, but not great. The women's movement obviously continues, needs to continue. Well, has it become more of an integrative? Oh, absolutely, movement? absolutely. And you know, what we see is, you know, young 
black women are 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 actively involved not only in black lives matter and in 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 the elimination of oppression and discrimination and getting involved in voters rights but they're like we were in this when we were involved in the civil rights movement the it, the discrimination against women was was occurring even then um mm -hmm. and so the the black women that that I've been involved with have been very involved in in this the the women's movement the issues not so much the movement but the issues that women are the concerned issues. about um mm. and and what the other thing that was a challenge and i felt was what um inhibited our our growth through the conservative 80s and 90s was we were we were pretty naive and ignorant about what we needed to do to be sure that the movement continued and grew and we were so focused on doing the the work uh, of, of of changing policies and changing laws that we didn't do a good enough job of mentoring young women to join and that that's not the case today what we're seeing now for instance in chicago uh and black lives matter helped a great deal in having that occur is that you're seeing nonprofit organizations led by black women you're seeing major institutions led by black women and you're seeing women's organizations led by black women yes. and that did not happen before it was more people like me and so we're looking at women employed you're looking at chicago foundation for women chicago community trust um even the museum of science and industry now has a an african american woman uh who is 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 heading it so it's it's a different world it's a, a different and and much more um uh equitable not world but equitable environment for for black women's leadership and now we've got you know we've got we've got our vice president who's the role model for everyone that's right that's right we do so i want to go back uh 40 years now again and, and when you started the women's business development yes. center why did you start it? What what are you especially proud of having accomplished with that? Well, it, it started um, my my partner at the time, Carol Dougal, and I started the Women's Business Development Center. It was it was it was out of frustration because we started in 1986, and and as you know, the 1980s were not the 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 most um, uh, mm -hmm. supportive environment for women's leadership. It was women, you know. I used to say women were co-opted by my men. They they were able to get into and graduate from law school and business school, and and they they at that time I wanted to uh, women were wearing you know black, dark suits with white shirts and these little bow ties 
And my, my tendency was I wanted to just go and pull the ends of those bow ties and put some sense into these kids because they were not really aware of, 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 of the discrimination that they, are, they, were, they were facing. Um, but they figured they were there and they had made it, but they never moved up. They just never moved up. So what, what I felt at the time was, again, back to my parents' immigrant background. When immigrants came to this country and when immigrants come to this country today, they can't get jobs. They can't get jobs because they don't have the education and they don't have the language and they don't have the support of the general public for what they would like to do. So you see, you know, uh, engineers driving cabs and, and, and doctors being uh, uh, in restaurants, you know, and it's, it's a very difficult thing. But the immigrants did start small businesses then and now. And it was a paradigm that I felt could be used for women because women had the great advantage at that time that they were being educated, well-educated, able to uh, get into and graduate and, and succeed in colleges. They were getting jobs, but they were still left in middle management and not given the opportunity to succeed and exceed uh, what the white male establishment expectations were for them. So I thought, you know, nobody's really talked about what about entrepreneurship for women? And not only for women who are educated and, and, and maybe successful at their, at their fields, but also for low-income women who, who were, you know, stuck in dead-end, low-wage jobs. And remember, in, in, in the 60s, in the 1960s, um, we fought for uh, uh, um, $2 an hour wages at that time. This time, it would be probably about 12 But, I mean, we had to fight for that. And so we decided to establish an organization that would help women develop and expand uh, small businesses to support themselves and their family. My ulterior motive was if women had uh, economic power and were confident that they could make change in the world, that they could change the world and they could change the face of business, which they did. And, um, and we could get women into supporting candidates and becoming candidates. Because mm -hmm. the other passion of mine has always been, you know, politics and the power of, of, of elected officials, appointed officials who can change the policies to really respond to the needs of the community. So we started the organization and no one took us seriously because they figured the only businesses that women started were, were little gift baskets or, or you know, or... Um, uh, not you know, cooking little cookies or something, you know, that's what, and mm -hmm. so we couldn't get any funding until 
And again, he's gone now. Governor Jim Thompson, a Republican, a moderate pro-choice Republican, who understood the value of women and minorities as, as assets in the economy. Um, we went to him and um, suggested that perhaps he could fund uh, what had been small business development centers, which were always in community colleges, um, to fund targeted small business development centers to women, Latinas, Latinos, and African-American men and women. And he did. And that was the first funding we got. And then with that, because we had that imprimatur on what we were doing, we had credibility. And we were able to kind of build uh, uh, some corporate support and some foundation support to build the organization. And, uh, and it was the right thing to do. And it's absolutely the right thing. I mean, at that time, the word entrepreneur, nobody could spell. But, you know, the, 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 the answer to your question, what is, what am I most proud of? Um, close to half of all businesses in this country are owned and run by women and minority-owned businesses. They don't generate the revenue. Um, they don't have the power. Um, and now with COVID, they are the ones that have been hurt the most. So what I'm proudest of is we were right about what we felt was the future of our economy. And what I'm also proudest of is that as I retired, semi, as I say, um, we brought in um, a fabulous woman who was on our board and, and became our chief operating officer. She was working at Harris Bank for 32 years. And um, uh, Harris Bank lent her to us as we were growing. And then we, uh, <coughs> excuse me, our board and I pushed so that she would be appointed our president and CEO. Since that time, my legacy as organization has doubled and tripled in size and impact and even demographics. It's now a Midwestern organization with nine offices and over 50 full-time employees and about 75, including contract employees. There isn't any woman business owner that I encounter who does not know your name, Hetty, and the Women Business Development well, Center. Well, good, I did a good job. <laughs> You did a wonderful <laughs> job. Yes, you did. <laughs> and and, and Teddy, I'm you're. I'm sorry, Gail. Did you want to? I was just else? just saying that it's still. Uh, it's it, you're right. It's very strong under Amelia, and um, and you can be very proud of what you've what you've accomplished Absolutely. for women entrepreneurs. Absolutely. Yes. And you know, in terms of our not only the organization, but the organization is not only a service organization and an access to capital organization, but you know they've helped to uh, implement $150 million in loans since COVID started. And mm. with state, federal, and city funding, I mean, loans and grants. But mm -hmm. our advocacy efforts have been 
expanded and um, our credibility as an advocacy organization uh, is pretty nationwide. That's and, and uh, when you and I talked, Hetty, you said that I know you're still involved yeah. uh, with with the center and you're president emerita. Um, and t- you said that you enjoy writing. And t- tell us what you're writing about. Well, um, writing. certainly public policy and working with elected and appointed officials to increase opportunities for minority and women-owned businesses. That's been my passion for, I don't know, 45 years maybe. But I'm also doing some fun stuff. I call it, you know, um, happy work. Um, there are so many awards all in nationally and, and locally that, um, people don't know about and don't take advantage of and don't think that it's something that they ought to apply for. So what I'm doing is finding the successful women business enterprises that are part of our nine, nine state region and looking at possible uh, recognition for them, and then writing nominations for them, including like Crane's Chicago Business has these notable awards that are wonderful. And you get recognition. And so I call it happy work because I'm happy doing something that recognizes women. Uh, The organizations that are, are... are, are um, doing the awards are happy because we've got a lot of applicants for them. And then the applicants, the women business owners are just totally thrilled to be recognized. And it's, it's wonderful because that keeps them involved with the Women's Business Development Center and, and you know, they're, to know that, that there are people that recognize their success especially through very challenging times. So I love doing that. <laughs> that does sound it's like happy work. It's indeed. fun for me. I love it. <laughs> yes. Um, you know, um, I'm wondering if, um, I'm just so curious about how people, women stay like yourself, who sustain this kind of work over decades through many challenges. Certainly there are rewards. Um, is there? Do you have a, ph- a philosophy that sustains you, keeps you going in this? Yeah, there, I mean, there's two work? two aspects. One is, um, I'm grateful to have good health, and I'm forever grateful and daily grateful that I have good health and the energy to do the things that I love. And I work very hard at staying healthy. And also something I did all my life, balancing my life with what I need to do to stay healthy mentally and physically as much as I can. I also had a partner of all those many 50 years who was so supportive and encouraging of everything I did. So I not only would do the work, but I would have his support and recognition of how great it was that I was continuing to do it. Mm-hmm. The other part of it is that um, there's so much that needs to be done. And I have the history. You know, I have, I know the history. I know the issues. 
and I know a hell of a lot of people who are still involved, and they know me. And so I have the access to, to some of the policy makers that are, that are capable of making enormous change. And it would be, it would be um, you know, unlike me to, to not leverage that and capitalize on mm -hmm. it for the benefit of women and minorities. You um, you mentioned your husband of fifty four well, we years. Well, we I have to take he... that back. We were together for fifty four years on and off at the beginning. We were only married for seven years. We got married um, the year before he died. Uh, really? Because he was ill, and and I had and when he first became ill. He had several problems. I couldn't deal with doctors and hospitals who wanted to know who I was and why I should have any any role or say in what happened. And we had a very close friend who was a doctor who, who said, you know what? You ought to get married and avoid all the problems. Yes. I see. But that was really our only reason for getting married. I mean, we were very, very, very happy together. Um, the last 20 years of our life, maybe even more, maybe 25, we lived together. Um, yeah, maybe 30. <laughs> I'm not really sure. <laughs> Who's I, I never did. Uh, and, and to go back to the other question you asked, I'm almost 80. And I know that I'm almost 80, but there's nothing in my mind or heart that says I'm old and I should stop. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a major issue. I mean, not that I'm, you know, I have arthritis and I, and I, you know, I get up slowly and if I walk too long, you know, that kind of stuff. But it's nothing, nothing that really inhibits me from doing almost anything. Mm -hmm. I love that. And now you, I, you, um, you refer to yourself as a snowbird. Oh yes. Right. So you're yeah, well, part time in Florida yeah. and part time yeah, here I, in I'm, Chicago. What I, Mort and I, my beloved husband and I, uh, after my my mom died, we bought a place here, and then sold it, and then now we rent. Well, I rent, and we we're in Boca Raton. Um, which is an area that we both loved. We loved it because it had um, so much that we enjoyed, concerts and theater and lectures and, you know, college classes. And, and, uh, and he was addicted to golf. Um, and so he belonged to a, play, a club that, where he could play in Chicago and here. And, you know, and we, were, we decided we were too old to live through another winter in Chicago. So we started out going here three months, then four months, then five months, and now I'm here for six months. And I'm thrilled. Six I'm months. thrilled because with COVID and, and the closing of so many institutions in Chicago, I, I was, you know, I, I couldn't do my, and my office was closed. So all of that, I said, uh -uh, I can't, I, I got to go. So I did. And uh, in this way, you can ride your bicycle all right, year long. Right, you still bike ride. Yes, I mean, I, I have. I mean, everybody who knows me 
knows that I'm on my bicycle all summer long and I go to work and I'm wearing my, you know, work clothes and I'm on my bicycle. You know, that's how I got around a lot. And I do that here too. Not as much and not as far as I've gotten older, but I still do it. That's wonderful. Well, Hetty, thank you so much for joining us today. This has been a wonderful conversation and learning about some of the your early work in civil rights, human rights, women's rights, and um, and that you continue to be so involved. And I, I like what you said about you know a lot. Yeah. You know, you know a lot, and you know still know a lot of people. So why would you stop now? When there's so, right. and the real issue is when there is so much that needs to be done somehow to mm -hmm. over somehow overcome the damage that was done over the past four years with this yes. horrible monster. And, you know, and so, you know, we've got, we, we work to get people elected to the house, to the Senate, to the presidency, and now working on, you know, progressive judges, you know, there's so much that needs to be done now. And uh, why would I stop? <laughs> and that's how we will we will end the conversation on that on that thank note. You. Thank it's you my, so much again for being with yes, us. Yes, thank you so much. Thank you. thank you, Hetty. And listeners, please subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts. Become an active participant in our community through our Facebook group. And no matter your age, participate in our monthly Zoom gatherings. You'll find everything you need to know about our Women Over 70 community on womenover70.com. See you next Wednesday on Women Over 70, Aging Reimagined. Thank you for listening to Women Over 70, Aging Reimagined. If you like what you've heard today, please subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen. In what ways are you shattering the myths that women over 70 are no longer relevant or visible? How are you celebrating aging? Join with us. Make your voice heard. Find us at womenover70.com.